Welcome to the Hand Tools and Techniques Woodworking Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rosieski, answering your questions and bringing you tips and tricks to help you get the most out of your time in the shop. Have you ever heard of a scraping chisel, and do you want to know how to use one? Are you curious about the usefulness of slips to attach drawer bottoms? Would you like to know how to have a successful experience with kids in the workshop? I'll discuss these topics and more today on Hand Tools and Techniques. Hey everyone, welcome back to Hand Tools and Techniques. Thanks for joining me for episode 5 of the show for June 6, 2017. I want to start out today's show by thanking everyone who sent emails and feedback for the uh, after the plea that I made in episode four. I did receive a few emails with questions and feedback, so I thank you for that. I do hope you all keep sending in the voicemails and emails because, as I mentioned in the last show, a lot of the content originates from you folks and your questions and participation. So get busy leaving those voicemails and emails and your questions. I uh, also mentioned the possibility of setting up a Facebook group for the show in the last episode, and I haven't heard any feedback or opinions on that. So do let me know if you think it would be a good idea or not, and if it's something you'd be interested in participating in. Um, If it's not, that's fine. You know, I won't bother to set it up. But if it's something you think that would be useful for sharing ideas and asking questions, let me know, and I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and set that up. So I don't really have anything to share from the shop this week. I've actually not even been in the shop since finishing up the candle box a couple of weeks ago because for the most part, other things have just taken priority. But uh, I've also been at somewhat of a loss for ideas and and motivation for the last couple of weeks. You know, there there's some things that I'd like to work on, but I really haven't been too motivated to get started on any of them. You know, it's it's one of those things that happens to me from time to time. I'll finish up a project and. You know, I may have a list of other projects that I like to build, but none of them are really appealing at the moment in time. So, you know, I go through this period of downtime where I'm not even that motivated to to get out in the shop because I'm not even sure what I want to work on. And, I, I, you know, I know it's something that happens to a lot of folks. So I'm going to ask for some listener participation here. You know, in the next episode of the podcast, what I want to do is turn the tables on you. Up until now, the podcast format has been me answering your questions and giving you my tips on a topic, but I'm just one voice, um, and I want to hear and share other opinions besides my own so that we can all benefit from the collaborative wisdom of the community. So for next week's, for next show's main topic, I want you to share your tips and answer my question. The main topic is going to be a discussion about motivation and what drives you to get back out into the shop when you're in a slump. So what I want you to do is leave me a voicemail at 276-601-3123 or send a recorded voice memo from your phone to bob at brfinewoodworking.com. You can just email your tips too if you want, but I'd really love to hear you share your own answer uh, in your own words. So I'd prefer if you left a voicemail or send me a voice memo. And again, the, the question is, how do you get motivated to get back out into the shop when you're in a bit of a slump? I'm li- I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing some participation on this, so let me hear it. So I do have a new patron this week to thank. Thanks to Arkadiusz Jakowski for signing up to support the show over at Patreon. And also continued thanks to Bill Warnock, Krister K., Lawrence Polinski, and Jeff Skiles for your continued support over on Patreon. And if you want to become a patron of the show, you can do so by going over to the Patreon page 
at patreon.com slash brfinewoodworking. And if you pledge $3 a month or more, you'll get access to a once-a-month patron-only episode of the podcast as my special way of saying thanks. The most recent patron extra show was posted on May 30th, and if you sign up to become a patron at $3 a month or more, you'll get access to that show as well as past and future patron extra shows for as long as you remain a patron. So I did get some feedback this week, and I thank the folks who took the time to write in and share their thoughts on the show. I'm not going to read them all because uh, they were all folks who wrote in primarily just to let me know that they were enjoying the show. Uh, but I do want to mention one plug that I received. Uh, Andy Margison posted a really nice write-up um, of, on the most recent episode of the podcast over on his blog at Oregon Woodworker. Uh, I always blush a bit when I see my name printed on someone else's blog or when someone gives me credit for teaching them something you know, somewhere on the internet because I don't really feel like I'm doing anything special other than sharing what I've learned from other people, whether those people are you know long dead or, or still with us. Um, but Andy, you know, poked a little fun at me too in the article. So that's always fun. I always enjoy that because I really try not to take this stuff too seriously because, you know, it's supposed to be fun after all. But, uh, I've known Andy for a long time. We've been in, uh, occasional communication since I did my video series on building the Porringer top tea table back in 2009. And Andy built several of the tables from the podcast that he shared photos of with me over the years. And all of his came out better than mine did. So uh, even though he says he has no skills in his blog post, I would beg to differ. And I'm sure you'd agree if you read through his blog and look at some of the fantastic things that he's built over the years. So anyway, thank you, Andy, for the, the plug and the kind words that you wrote. And for everyone else, if you've never seen Andy's blog, please go check it out at uh, oregonwoodworker.blogspot.com. So let's get into the mailbox. Our first question comes from uh, our Patreon supporter, Christopher K. And Christopher says, I have heard of a few folks referencing reference putting a flat perpendicular edge on a bench chisel and using it like a scraper chisel to get at difficult areas at the bottom of mortises, inside wooden plane escapements, and so on. But my Google foo has failed me. Have you ever heard of this? And if they're and if they are using the scraper word to refer not to cabinet scrapers, but to turning type chisel scrapers. I wonder if it's common to try putting a burr on the edges. Turning is a world I have not yet entered. So Christopher, I have heard of these. Uh, in fact, the first time I heard of them was from a, a, a plane maker. And I believe his name was Bill Carter. And it was quite a few years ago um, that I did hear about these. But um, essentially, the, what, what you described is right. What What Bill would do is to take an old bench chisel and essentially grind a perp perpendicular edge on it, blunt the edge, for, for lack of a better word. Um, and he would use that as a scraper to level and adjust the bed of wooden planes that he was building. Um, and his claim was that, you know, he, that it actually worked better than a plane float, and um, he actually used that type of chisel, that scraper chisel, and never used floats to make his planes. So um, I have tried it before, and it actually does work pretty well. Um, based on, on the instructions that I read, really all you do is you grind the edge of the chisel blunt, and you're using the, the burr from the grinder to do the scraping. So you don't have to um, actually try and turn a burr with a, a burnisher or anything like that. You're just, you're not even honing it or polishing the edge. You're just taking that chisel to the grinder, 
forming a burr from grinding it and then using that grinding burr as a scraper. Um, and essentially, you know, for the most part, that's what, what turners are doing, I think, is, um, you know, grinding their their um, their turning scrapers. Uh, I don't think they're quite perpendicular. I think they might have a, a slight angle on them. But nonetheless, they're still grinding those turning scrapers and then going from the grinder straight back to the lathe. And that's that's the way that I've heard of this technique used with a scraper chisel uh, as well. Um, and it actually does work pretty well. Um, in my experience, the burr doesn't last quite that long because it's not real finely polished. Um, at least that's my guess. Um, sort of like a scraper burr. You know, if you polish it on a stone, that burr tends to last longer than if you just go from the file straight to scraping. Um, so, you know, coming right off the grinder, the burr doesn't seem to last that long, but because it's coming straight from the grinder, it's real easy to touch it up. You just go back to the grinder, touch it to the wheel again and create a new burr and, and get back to work. So uh, give it a try. You know, it might be something that uh, works for you. So our next question comes from Douglas Ward. And Douglas said, what's the deal with drawer slips? Sorry, I didn't uh, use the Seinfeld voice there. I'm not, not too good at... Uh, at voices, but uh, I, I did watch the show, so I did get the joke. But uh, so, what's the deal with drawer slips? I've read in Robert Wearing's book about the technique of using glued-in drawer slips as an alternative method to grooving drawer sides to attach drawer bottoms. Do you use this technique? Is it worth the effort? And what are your thoughts on it? Thanks, and keep up the good work. So um, I have used it. Um, I don't use it that often because uh, usually, you know, I prefer the traditional, the, the older technique of just plowing a groove in the drawer. But uh, if you go back, you know, to very early drawers, you know, and we're talking, you know, 16th, 17th centuries now, 1600s, uh, 1500s, 1600s, before we start getting into the 18th century furniture, um, drawer sides and fronts were quite thick, usually, you know, full three quarter to seven eighth inch thick material. Um, so there was a lot of material there and uh, they could plow a groove for a drawer side or even just uh, just nail the, the bottom onto the, the drawer sides was another common, uh, a common way to do it rather than plowing a groove at all. Uh, a lot of times they just nailed the bottom of the drawer right to the drawer side. So when I'm building a reproduction, I try to uh, stick to how the reproduction, how the original was built. So, um, you know, I have used drawer slides, but in reproduction stuff, it, it doesn't come up all that often. Um, you do see it a little bit more in English furniture. And what I think happened is as furniture became more refined, what you start to see is that the drawer sides start to get thinner and thinner. And the thinner those drawer sides get, when you start to plow a groove in them for a drawer bottom, they start to get real fragile. So the solution to that, of course, is to build up the area where the drawer bottom is going to be inserted. So you build the drawer exactly like you would a regular period drawer where, and I talked about this, I think one or two episodes ago, how to build a, a period style uh, drawer. But essentially you build it the same way with the back is a little bit shorter and you would slide the drawer bottom under the back into a groove in the drawer sides. But instead of um, plowing a groove in the drawer sides, because the drawer sides are so thin, what you're doing is plowing a groove into an extra piece. And that extra piece is probably only about five eighths to three quarters of an inch tall and maybe, you know, a half inch or so thick, uh, maybe not even that thick. And you're plowing your groove in that piece. And that piece is then going to get glued to the inside of the drawer sides. 
you usually don't have to add slips to the drawer front because the drawer front's usually thicker. So you can plow your groove right into the drawer front. So usually slips are just applied to the drawer sides. Um, and again, the, their purpose is really just to build up the thickness of the drawer side down where the drawer bottom goes in so that you're not plowing a groove into a thin drawer bottom. And it's a nice feature. It really makes the drawer look nice. Um, it allows you to use really nice thin drawer sides so you get a really nice delicate look to the drawer, but it doesn't weaken the drawer sides at all by putting a, a groove into an already very thin drawer side. So um, it's, it's a real simple thing to do. And uh, I would say it's definitely worth it, you know, unless you're building a reproduction and trying to stick to what that reproduction, how that reproduction was built, how that original was built, sorry. Um, you know, it's definitely something worth trying, especially if you like to use, you know, nice thin stock for your drawer sides to get that delicate look in the drawers. Um, you know, drawer slips are definitely a, a good option for that. So our next question comes from Sean. And Sean asks, is there something out there that's appropriate for boring into end grain? I tried that with one of my auger bits and it was a miserable failure. I have a hunch that's what ruined one of my bits because the lead screw doesn't really work anymore. Um, so Sean, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but um, there's not really a good traditional bit for boring into end grain. Um, I would say your, your best bet would probably be something like a spoon bit would would do a pretty decent job boring in end grain, maybe. Um, auger bits are going to be problematic in, in end grain because of that lead screw. Um, and, and for the most part, we don't see holes bored into end grain too often in, in, uh, traditional furniture. That's more, more of a contemporary thing. You could try a, a Forstner bit. A Forstner bit might actually work. Okay. Boring in end grain. You would probably have to have, um, the right kind of, of brace. If you're going to use that in a brace, the brace would have to have the right kind of chuck in order to be able to hold a round bit. Um, or you can find, um, old Forstner bits that did have a, a brace, you know, a tapered four sided, um, bit that, uh, would work in a traditional brace. So you could try one of those. Uh, but I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of luck boring into end grain too easily. Um, you know, with anything other than maybe a Forstner bit or a spoon bit, um, auger bits are going to be problematic, like I said, because of that lead screw. So, you mentioned that you think you might have ruined one of your bits boring into end grain because the lead screw doesn't work anymore. I doubt you ruin the bit. Boring into end grain shouldn't ruin the bit. What I think is probably happening is the uh, the thread is clogging up with um, with the chips because there's really nothing to hold the chips there. So the lead screw threads are clogging up with dust and chips, and then they're they're not pulling the bit into the end grain anymore. Um, to fix that, you need to pick out all that wood. And then try to polish the threads. Um, first, look at the threads and make sure that there's no burrs or or uh, or dings in the threads that might be catching wood chips. Um, if you do have burrs or dings or damage to the threads, you're going to want to get that out first um, and fix that. And the way to do that is with a, a small tapered saw file, triangular file. You can go ahead and just file the edges of the threads on the lead screw and remove any of those burrs, um, and then polish the lead screw. Um, you can do that with, um, you know, just by starting a test hole in a board and jamming a little honing compound, like some of the green crayon stuff or valve lapping paste or loose silicon carbide, or just about any type of abrasive paste. 
put that down in a lead screw hole and then run that lead screw in and out of that hole in the piece of wood that's packed with that abrasive a few times. Um, and that'll polish the lead screw and that'll help to keep it from clogging up with, with sawdust and stuff. Um, and I did, um, I actually have a blog post on sharpening auger bits where I talk about how to fix the lead screw and polish the lead screw. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but, uh, yeah, I, in terms of boring and end green, um, you know, I'm not aware of any bit that's really going to make the job easy. So, um, you know, if you have to bore in end grain, I would say just, you know, take your time and, and be ready for a little bit of a struggle. So our last question is from Paul and Paul says, can you talk a bit about starting the cut with a handsaw? I noticed in some of your old videos that you get right into it without chiseling a notch or using any scribe line to get the saw on the right track from the word go. I know too I know too much set on a saw doesn't help with a smooth start, but is there anything else you can mention? So Paul, for the most part, it's really just practice and, and getting a feel for getting that saw started. Uh, when I'm teaching people how to use hand saws in my classes and teaching them how to start the cut, what I try to do is, is I tell them to try and saw without sawing. So in other words, get set up for your cut and move the saw through the motions with the saw teeth barely scratching the surface of the wood, but without actually cutting. And when you can saw without sawing or just barely scratch the surface of the wood while you're going through those sawing motions, that's the feeling you're looking for when you're starting the cut. Because in order to do that, you essentially need to take up all the weight of the saw with your sawing hand. So this, that the saw is not resting on the wood at all. So that's the feeling you're looking for. Try to saw without sawing and just kissing the top of the surface or just scratching the top of the surface um, with the tips of the teeth. And when you can saw without sawing, that's the feeling that you're looking for when you're starting the cut. Um, other things that I, I do include starting it near, I start near the corner rather than straight across end grain. Like if I'm, I'm, uh, if I'm sawing a tenon, for example, or if I'm sawing a dovetail, I try and saw out the corner first instead of starting straight across the end grain because then the teeth are engaged with less wood. Um, also, make sure your grip on the saw is not too tight. Um, if, you, if you're really squeezing the saw, it's very hard um, to start it because you, you can't start aggressively. You can't start aggressively or push too hard when your grip's really loose it, because it'll just knock the saw out of your hand. Um, so if the saw, if you're really got a death grip on the saw, um, it's going to force you, you're going to be trying to push too hard into the cut. So keep the, keep the grip loose and that's going to force you to take the weight of the saw off of the wood to start the cut. Um, and, and that's going to help you as well. And like anything else, it just takes some practice. Um, some of the things that I've seen done to make sawing easier, um, in terms of starting the cut, I have seen, you know, I, I've, they used to make saws with finer teeth at the toe. So this was more common in big rip saws, like a five point rip saw. You might see six or seven or eight teeth at the toe. Um, some people will file more rake at the toe of the saw, um, or over the whole saw at all, uh, uh, in general. So if you, um, if you relax the rake over the entire length of the saw or just at the toe of the saw, um, that's going to make it a little easier to start the cut. Um, if you add some fleam to the toe of a rip saw, um, that's going to make it a little easier to start the cut. Um, 
you know, but I, I don't really find any of these things necessary once you've gotten a little bit of practice. They can be helpful if you don't do a lot of hand sawing, but with practice, they really become unnecessary and they, they really only serve to slow the saw down. Um, you know, my dovetail saws, for example, have no rake at all and, and I'm able to start them just fine. You know, they do have small teeth, um, but again, they're, they're perpendicular. They're very aggressive for, um, in terms of how they're filed. So, um, I think, you know, once you, you get used to it and again, try to saw without sawing, um, I think you, you'll, uh, you'll understand a little bit better. And if you get that feeling down of, of just scratching the surface of the wood, instead of actually starting to cut, I think that will help you to, to, uh, start the saw a little bit easier. So that's all for the mailbox for this week. As always, if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show, you can leave a voicemail at 276-601-3123. You can also go to brfinewoodworking.com slash contact and fill out the form or send an email to bob at brfinewoodworking.com. After the break, I'll be right back with today's main topic. Hey everyone, it's Bob. I want to talk to you about a way that you can support the show without any additional cost to you. I know a lot of you already shop online for your woodworking tools and other needs. Well, did you know that you can actually send a little love my way just by shopping online like you would normally do? The next time that you need to buy a woodworking tool, book, DVD, or just about anything else online, head on over to my website at brfinewoodworking.com first. In the footer of the website, or on the right side of the blog, you'll see several affiliate links for Highland Woodworking, Shop Woodworking, and Amazon.com. Just click on one of those links and you'll be taken from my website to the merchant that you want to shop with. Then just shop as you normally would. Highland Woodworking, Shop Woodworking, and Amazon will know that you were sent to them through my website. And in return, they'll send me a small percentage of your total purchase as a commission. It costs you nothing more than you were already planning to spend, but just by going through the links on my blog, you send a little love my way to help keep the show going. So don't forget... Go to brfinewoodworking.com and click the affiliate links in the website footer or the right side of the blog the next time you shop online. Thanks for your support, everyone. I really appreciate it. So today's main topic is kids in the workshop. And to help me out with this discussion, I have two very special guests with me on the show today. My daughters, Sophie and Megan, are with me today. You girls want to say hi to everybody? Hi. Sophie's my oldest, and she just recently turned 12, and Megan is going to be 10 a little later this year. And both of them have been working in the shop with me since they were about two and a half to three years old. And in all that time, I can think of only one time where there's been an accident in the shop, and that was because they weren't following the rules. So, But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So today, the three of us are going to discuss 12 tips for working with kids in the shop. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. So tip number one, while the shop is a fun place to be, it's not a playground, right? So, you know, we, we talk about this before, right? So, you know, what happens when we, when we horse around in the shop and we're not paying attention to stuff and you'll get hurt. Yeah. Right. Somebody can get hurt cause there's stuff in the shop, right. That, that you can get hurt on. So, um, you know, what kind of things. What kind of things do we find in the shop that we can get hurt on? Saws and chisels. Mm. Yeah, sharp tools, 
could be stuff on the floor, right? Tripping hazards and dust on the floor or boards you can trip over. Stuff on the wall that can fall, maybe. Yeah. And uh, some people even have machines, big power tools and machines and stuff in the shop. So they uh, certainly don't want to be messing around with that kind of stuff. So tip number two, then, is to establish rules. What are some of the rules that we have in our shop? Well... Well, follow the rules, and right. Well, um, what's one of the rules that we that we have? Wear appropriate shoes, and don't play around. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. No. Uh, make sure, make sure you have the right shoes on. Right. We don't wear flip flops in the shop. Mm-mm. Yeah, because you could get splinters in your feet. Splinters. You can get cut. Yeah. Um, what's one of the the big rules that we have in the shop? One of the most important touch ones. Touch the tools unless you are, yeah, are that, watching them. Yeah, that's one of them. But our number one rule, usually, unless I ask you to go in there to get something for me. but Don't go in there without care. Exactly, yeah. Care. We don't go in the shop unless I'm in there, right? Because, mm-hmm. again, you can, guys can get hurt. You know, there's stuff in there that, that you can get cut on that you can get hurt on. So, you know, we had an incident like that once. That was That was the one incident that we mentioned earlier, right? And you guys remember when that happened? Yeah. Yeah, what happened? I probably have a scar right here. Yeah, you probably do. What happened? Do you remember what happened? Yeah. Yeah, what happened? I was you we were, were coming home shop. from work and you were there and you were coming in the door, so we went in the shop and we were hiding from you and you had pulled the desk out for one of your meetings. The workbench, right? We pulled yeah, the workbench out from the wall. For like one of your meetings with your friends and we went behind it and we were hiding behind it and she hit her head on a chisel Mm-hmm. yeah so you guys were hiding you were in the shop without me you tried to hide behind the bench and when you stood up to say surprise you put a you hit hit your head on a sharp edge of a chisel right mm-hmm. yeah because for anyone who who um, hasn't seen pictures of my old shop so in my old shop, I had uh, boards mounted to the walls, and I just had my tools hanging on the wall on, on racks. And my chisels, you know, hang pretty low, just above my bench, um, within easy reach. And, and in this particular case, my bench had been pulled away from the wall because I was having uh, some friends from my woodworking club over. We were going to do some, some demos around the bench. So I pulled the bench away from the wall so we could all stand around the wall. And... Uh, when uh, when my youngest stood up to say surprise because they were on the other side of the bench, she hit her head on a on one of the sharp chisels. And luckily, the uh, the chisel racks were the chisels just hang there; they're loose. They're they're not actually tight in the rack, so the the chisel moved, um, and it didn't actually go too deep into her head. But she uh, she had a nice little cut, and she was bleeding for a little while. But you know, so that's why one of our rules is is no going in the shop unless Dad's in there. So. Um, and then, you know, we have a couple more rules, you know, my girls both have long hair, right? So we usually mm-hmm. put our hair up or, or tie it back when we're in there. Um, not so much a big deal with hand tools, but you know, if we have to run a drill or something like that, we don't want anybody's hair getting stuck. And, uh, same thing with the loose clothes, right? We try not to wear any loose clothes if we're going to use a drill or a drill press or something. So tip number three, um, this is a big one. I think let them pick the project. Um, you know, when they want to come in the shop and they want to do something and they want to hang out with you and they want to work, um, 
you know, it's going to be more fun for them if they picked a project, if they picked what we're going to work on. So, and we've, we've done a couple of different things that you guys wanted to build, right? What are some of the things that we've built that you guys have picked? That doll bed. Yeah, we made that doll bed, me and you, right? You really wanted to make that, uh, that trundle bed for your American girl. And then we made the pencil boxes. Yeah, the pencil boxes. That's right. We did those. What else? Toolboxes. Yeah, we made you guys your own toolboxes. So we've done a bunch of different projects, but it really helps to, you know, let the kids pick what they want to do. Let, let them pick their project because if they're vested in it, if they, if it's something that they picked and they're really interested in making it, they're going to take a big, they have much more interest in, and more focus um, on doing that project. So, you know, it's important to let them pick their project. Um, tip number four is to keep it simple. If you start getting really complex, they tend to lose, kids tend to lose interest real quick. These are not projects where you want to start cutting dovetails, getting into uh, real complicated joinery or anything like that. You know, usually when kids are in a shop, at least younger kids, um, before they have more patience and more interest in learning the more detailed stuff about uh, about woodworking, you know, you're not looking to do complex joinery. These are usually like glue and nails type projects, maybe a dowel here and there. When we did their toolboxes, they were mostly done with just glue and nails. You know, they were real simple, but you know, we, we had a good time in there and, uh, and then they got to paint them afterwards. So, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun for them. It was a good project and it was fun for me too. Tip number five is teach them and help them, but let them do the work. Now we, we did this with your trundle bed, right? In fact, some of the stuff that we did when you were building your American girl, American girl doll bed, I was working on another project, right? And you were doing the work on your stuff, mm-hmm. and I would. And and what? How, how did we do that? Like you would work, you would show me like what to do and how to do it, and then I would do the rest while you worked on your project. Like with the sanding, you would show me like how to get the corners and stuff. Yeah. Right, so then you could do you could do the work on your project, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could tell somebody, you can tell people you made it. You, I didn't make it, you made it, right? So it's important to let them do the work. You know, they're if if you really want to get them interested in it, and if they are interested in it, they're going to want to do the work for themselves. So um, you know, teach them how to do it, help them when they need help, watch them while they're doing it, but don't do the work for them. Let them do the work. Let them enjoy building something. Um, you know that's that's really important, and it's uh, it's it's part of really getting them interested in in being in the shop. You know to make sure that that they're doing the work and they're learning while they're in there and they're having fun. Tip number six is to do the tedious prep work ahead of time. So when what uh, do you guys remember when we built your toolboxes? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, I, the only thing I remember is painting it. Yeah, you did a little bit more than painting it. You know, you guys nailed them together. You might have done a little bit of, yeah, and glued them and did a little bit of sawing. But so uh, when we built the toolboxes with the girls, a lot of the work, you know, we, we, um, it was just a simple tool tote, you know, that we, that we nailed and glued together, but it had a little handle, a dowel handle on it and, um, you know, like a scrolled shaped edge. 
And uh, I did that work ahead of time. So the night before, you know, we, we worked in the shop one evening and the girls helped cut all the wood to length and cut all the parts to size and uh, and get ready to, to glue it and nail it all up. And then after they went to bed, I went and did the stuff that they were not going to have interested in. Now, when we built these toolboxes, they were a lot younger than they are now. And uh, I want to say it was like 2008. Um you know, so it was almost 10 years ago and, uh, maybe, maybe not quite that long ago, maybe, maybe 2009, um, or 2010, but anyway, it was, it was quite a while ago and, uh, they were quite a bit younger. So in order to keep their interest, you know, you want to make sure that they're able to finish the project and that you're not working on steps that are going to bore them and take too much time. So a lot of the tedious prep work, you know, planing, things smooth, um, doing the, the, um, the fret saw work, the, uh, the turning saw work and smoothing out those edges. I did most of that the night before so that when they came back in the shop the next day, they got to use the egg beater drill, right? That's one of mm -hmm. your guys' favorite tools. You guys like to use that. And they got to drill all the pilot holes for the nails and put the screws in and uh, put the handle on and nail everything together. So, um, you know, the, the busy work, the work that takes time that they're going to get bored with real quick, I did it ahead of time. And then they got to come in and do the fun part and see it go together. So, so uh, yeah, do, the, do the, the prep work ahead of time if you can. One time, like, um, I, you were letting me plan something. I forget what it was. You were letting me help you do that. But I got bored after a while because, like, because it's... It wasn't really as fun just like planning it. Exactly, right? But, you know, you want to see something come together. But as you got older, like when you did your American Girl doll bed, you did a lot more on that, mm -hmm. right? Because then it was more fun and it was something, you know, that you really wanted to do. So tip number seven, don't be a perfectionist. You know, again, going back to keeping it simple, this isn't the time where you're going to worry about gaps in joinery or worry about an edge that isn't perfectly square. Let them decide what's good enough. It's their project. If they're not happy with something, then you fix it and you help them fix it and show them how to fix it. But if they're happy with it, let them be. Don't try to make it better because again, the, the focus is on them, letting them do the work, letting them have fun, letting them make something. And if they're happy with what they're making, that's the whole, the whole goal. And as their interests and their skills grow, they're going to want to do better work. Um, and you know, then you'll be able to teach them as they get older and as they start to work in the shop more, you'll be able to teach them how to make things better, how to make your edges square. But you know, while they're young, while they're first being introduced to the craft, let them decide what's good enough. You know, if they like it the way it is. Leave it the way it is. Sometimes when you're doing a project and you try to fix it, like it'll just make it even worse if you don't really know how you're going to fix it. Exactly. Exactly. But if you like it the way it is, right? Just do it. Then leave it the way it is. Exactly. Tip number eight. Let them help with your projects. So it always, you know, sometimes when you're working in the shop, they just, they're just interested. They want to come in and they want to help with whatever it is you're doing. They don't have a, a project for themselves in mind. They just want to do something with you. They want to help with whatever it is you're doing. 
So let them help with your projects. You know, obviously, if you have to make some really precise dovetails, that's not something um, that they're they're going to do. But maybe you pull out a scrap board, take a break from your piece, pull out a scrap board, and let them do some some cutting, make some dovetails, uh, if they really want to help with that. Um, the three of us just did something. He worked on one of my projects pretty recently, right? What did we do? We, we painted did your box. box. Yeah, we painted the tool chest, right? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we we used milk paint. We mixed up the milk paint, the three of us. We measured it out. And I painted the top, and so we painted the box, the, the and I helped with the box, too. Yep, exactly. So we all painted the chest and mixed up the paint. So, you know, they come in and they want to help. Let them help with some of your projects, too. Sometimes, maybe if you're working on something really important, just take a break from it and and work on something else. If they're interested and they come in and they want to work, give them the time because someday they're not going to want to spend as much time with you. When they get older and they get interested in other things, you know, they may not want to come in and work in the shop with you as much. So give them the time when they want it. Tip number nine, give them their own tools and their own workspace. Like in our toolbox, we have all our own tools, and then over, um, over at in your old shop, we had the little um, desk. I think that we worked at. Yeah, do you remember? You remember your mm-hmm. first set of tools? Yeah. The, they were which one? You remember which ones they were? The toy ones, right? You remember the yeah. old that old toy set? Uh, yeah. And you had a drill and a and a toy saw, and you had all that that stuff. Yeah, My, Miranda enjoys that too. Like she plays with the toy tools. Yeah, exactly. Oh, she has that now. Does she no. have? Did we give that to her? No, I think she just got a different. She one. got her own. Okay, but yeah. So when my kids were real young in my old shop, they got their own little workbench, um, and it was just a little toy one, like you might find at Toys R Us or Home Depot. And they had their own toy tools because obviously they were they were a little bit too young to. Uh, to work with with real tools at the time but you know sometimes they just want to come in and mimic you especially especially if they're real little you know you could build them some wooden tools um, or just get them some toy tools um, I re- remember a day when uh, I was in there sharpening a saw and my youngest I turn around and I look behind me my youngest was sitting on her little stool at her little toy workbench and she had clamped her saw her toy saw in the vise of her toy workbench and she was using her toy screwdriver as a file and she was filing the teeth of her toy saw so you know they're going to mimic you they want to do what you're doing when you're in there even when they're real little so you know give them their own tools give them their own space and uh, and let them go you know sometimes the girls will come in the shop and all they want to do is just putter around so they'll go grab some scrap wood out of the out of the cutoff bin right and just do whatever. File it, saw it, sand it. Like the squares I made the other day. Yeah. When you just went in there and you just wanted to make squares and then cut them in half diagonally and make triangles. You know, whatever. It doesn't have to be a, a fancy project. Sometimes they just want to go in and, and play with wood. So give them their own space, give them their own tools, and, and let them go. You know, obviously you're going to watch them and, and uh, keep an eye on them to make sure they're not doing anything dangerous. But... You know, as long as they're in there and they're having fun, let them go. Tip number 10, let them be creative. Uh, we just talked about this, you know, just going and pulling scraps out of uh, out of the scrap bin. My girls will come in the shop sometimes and 
they'll just ask, you know, go through the scrap bin and ask me, can I use this piece of wood, you know, and they'll do whatever with it. Well, you know, sometimes you guys don't even use your tools. Sometimes you just go in there and make pictures, right, on mm-hmm. on pieces of wood. And then, like, plan out, like, if I wanted to, like, the one time when I wanted to do one thing, I don't think I ever got to do it, but I was um, planning out with another thing for my doll on a piece of scrap wood. I was just drawing with a pencil. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, uh, yeah, you guys actually made signs for me for the shop one time. Do you remember when you did that? You, like, glued stuff to the boards and... They were pretty cool, like painted them and like glued all kinds of puffy stuff to the boards. And Yeah, I remember that. I yeah. remember that. Yep, you came in and you just, you know, you grabbed some scrap wood and you used all your craft supplies. And you just, you know, you wanted to do a craft, but you wanted to do a craft in the shop and you wanted to do it with wood. And so you took your craft supplies and you started drawing and painting and gluing and whatever. So, but again, you know, it comes back to, to just being creative, right? Let them do what they want to do. Let them just enjoy being in there, you know, make your shop an inviting place and just let them come in and go as they please and, uh, and make it a place they want to be in. Like with our garden, like where we, we found a board and we're planning on just cutting it and making a little sign for our garden. Exactly. Tip number 11. Wow. We're almost at the end already. Don't force it. So, like when you say with the saws, like don't, don't like try and force it to go, or like what do you mean? Oh, so so that's a good. Yep, that that's one way of not forcing it. Don't force the saw. You're right. But now what I'm talking about here is is don't force don't force your kids to go in the shop if they you know if they're not interested in it some particular day, let it be. You know. If uh, if you're in the shop working on something and they get tired and they want to stop, stop when they want to stop. Or just let them do something else in the shop. You know, if they just want to come in there and, and color in one of their coloring books or, or play on one of their devices or whatever, you know, don't force the woodworking. The woodworking will come when they're interested in doing it. Because, like, if you, if you forced us to do it, like, then we wouldn't really want to do it. Exactly. Possibly, yeah. So it's better to just let you guys come in and do it when you want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, tip number 12, make sure it's fun. Is it fun when you guys come in the shop? Yeah. Because if it was boring, like, and then, like, you you just, like, went along with it and it was boring, you wouldn't really be interested in it. And you'd be just doing it to do it. Or you probably wouldn't come in there at all, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to go in there at all if it wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point is to go in there and let's do something fun in the shop. Let's build something cool. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, make sure it's fun. You know, we think about what um, we think about ourselves, you know, when we get a little bit frustrated with projects or something like that. You know, you get frustrated with a project or, uh, you know, something stumps you and you're not sure what to do next. Sometimes you just need to walk away or... You know, if you're if you're not enjoying your time in the shop, you're gonna do you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna do things you don't want to do. If your kids aren't enjoying their time in the shop, they're just not gonna want to come in there in the first place. So you know, if it's something you want to be able to do with them, you gotta make sure it's fun. You gotta give them a reason to want to come in there. So make sure it's fun. 
if it wasn't fun, then, like, why would you do it if it wasn't fun? Like, wouldn't you rather do something else if it wasn't fun? Exactly. So, if you want to work in the shop with kids, you got to make sure what you're doing is fun. Well, thank you guys for uh, for coming on the show today. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Not really. No. no. Okay. You, did you uh, Did you enjoy your your first podcast? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Good. Well, maybe we'll do it again on a future show. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what everybody else thinks, but I think they're going to like it too. So that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, I want to thank you all for joining me and for allowing me to do this. Because without your support, none of this would be possible. As a reminder, if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions, you can leave me a voicemail at 276-601-3123. You can also use the contact form or email address on the website at brfinewoodworking.com slash contact. If you're looking for the show notes for today's episode, you can find them on my website at brfinewoodworking.com slash htt005. In the show notes, you can find any links that I referred to in today's show, and you can also find links to follow me on all my social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. You can also sign up for my newsletter to receive subscriber-only content, updates, and special offers delivered to your email inbox every Friday. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, you have multiple options for doing so. You can become a supporter on Patreon, You can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can shop with one of our affiliates. You'll find links for all these options in the show notes and at brfinewoodworking.com slash support. And remember, for next show, I want uh, to hear your thoughts on how you get motivated to get back in shop when you're in a slump. So send me those voicemails and voice memos, and we'll, uh, we'll put them in the next show. So thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay sharp, everybody.